In today's episode, we continue last week's conversation on structuring roles and responsibilities. In explaining the A-Vault approach, we present the parallels between resolving role conflicts and addressing interpersonal conflicts. If you like what you hear, follow our blog at www.guildmasterconsulting.com blog. Alternatively, you can give us your hot take on Twitter at GuildmasterC or via email at hi at guildmasterconsulting.com. We would love to hear from you. Welcome to Somehow I Manage, the Software Engineering Manager's podcast by Guildmaster Consulting. I'm John Graham, and I'm joined here with... Dr. Ashley Graham. And today we're going to be talking about uh, part two of our conversation last week in our podcast, uh, Not My Job. We discussed how structured roles and responsibilities are not anathema to a democratic engineering culture or a flat organization. And one thing, John, that you said toward the end of that podcast was that job descriptions can be like APIs. And I said, oh, that's for another podcast. And here we are. I'd love to know more about what you meant by that. So I think a lot of people today, when they hear API, they're thinking RESTful interface, they're thinking endpoints and URLs. When I was learning about APIs, it was uh, through the lens of object orientation. Uh, so when I say those things, I usually I'm thinking honestly of a UML diagram. Um, on uh, RESTful APIs and the uh, interface around an object, they're more or less representing the same thing, just in different technologies. Um, so to, if you're trying to apply this API metaphor to your roles and responsibilities, you already have a hierarchy in your org chart. That's a lot like a class diagram. Uh, your direct reports are basically a part of a, has a relationship to whoever's in this role. They don't belong to a person, but these roles belong to another role. Um, whereas your job descriptions are the is a relationship, um, like inheriting from an interface. Um, so you're, you're looking at kind of those public methods, the publicly available parts of your API are that public transparent written down part of that job description. Uh, and then the implementation details are for each and every person to figure out how they're gonna do something in case you're a manager but not in software engineering, although I don't know how it's useful to you, there are a lot of times in management where knowledge of software engineering becomes uh, comes in quite handy. A reorg is a lot like a refactor. Um, we're talking about job descriptions as an interface or an API. If you can use the skills you already have, uh, it's not that much of a leap to become a very effective manager. Based on our last conversation, I felt like we talked a lot about how important that question was. <laughs> yeah. And I think... In the abstract. <laughs> I, I think in a lot of cases, um, the question will resolve itself if managers understand, oh, I need to do this. Hmm. There's any number of ways to resolve this problem. So that's why we're really focused on, hey, this is an important problem to solve. Hmm. Especially in a flat organization, organization trying to be flat. Uh, flat isn't what you think, and that's right. what we more or less talked about. Yeah, I did want to talk about, or maybe use this as an example to bring up a particular actual way to mm -hmm. assign roles to people. Okay. Um, because a lot of times in an organization, 
you could apply what we're what I'd like to go over uh, to resolve a lot of resource disputes. Okay. Um, it's not just who's responsible for what, um, but it could also be assigning out an on-call rotation or uh, any sort of like issue where there's a limited number of resources and they need to be distributed. Yeah, that that also came up last time, the economic metaphor of this model. So going into the economics of it, it in a very practical application would be helpful. So step us through an example. Do you want to do on-call or are you wanting to go for... Let's do, yeah, let's do roles and responsibilities. Okay, roles and responsibilities. Okay. So I'm going to go over this acronym AVALT. A-V-A-L-T is a way to uh, remember it, but we are not going to actually start with A. A oh, that's is, confusing. <laughs> a is the first letter, but it's going to be A abused. So I want to start with V. Okay. Go over the system and then okay. tell you why A comes first, but it's not important that it comes first. Okay. <laughs> Go on. So V. We're going v. Uh-huh. v stands for volunteer. This is that market mechanism that we alluded to. Um, oh, the public goods? Public market. goods versus private goods. Let the market figure out what it's going to figure out before you step in. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, you might have multiple identified roles and responsibilities. The first thing you want to do is ask who wants to do what. That's not the last thing you're going to do, mm-hmm. but you're going to ask who wants to do what. Okay. Not everyone. There's. You don't even know that there's going to be a conflict yet. Mm-hmm. Just because there's four slots and four people doesn't mean that those four people aren't going to choose unique slots, and there's no reason why you need to interfere at all. Mm-hmm. The amount of damage you can do by accidentally assuming that you need to step in and assign things when you don't is high. Right. Um, you might think, and, and I want to talk about, well, what if somebody's best at the job? That could be true. Do you want to bracket that? or? Uh I want to bracket that for the end. Okay. But yeah, we're going to get to that. Okay. Um, So we're just going to ask who wants to do what. Now, if there are conflicts, you're going to move on to uh, the second A, auction. So we've got volunteer and then auction. Mm -hmm. Um, This is where you can can start out simple. You can go to complex. It depends on how much you want to play it as a game. Mm Uh, the simplest thing is, okay, now you're not just asking people to volunteer. You're asking them for their preferences. A ranked list. Let's okay. say there are four roles. We have four people. Everybody turns in a list of their preferred rankings. Um, this is a lot like ranked choice voting. But you're trying to basically match who wants what and maximize the overall group happiness. So if two people are going for the same role, but one prefers it more, you're going to go, you're going to assign that role to the person who prefers it more, even though they might have both wanted it. Um, The rankings help you figure out what to do with somebody who doesn't get their first choice. Okay. Um, And you're trying to make sure that they get their second choice. I think an important thing to uh, mention here is that people might have negative preferences. They might not actually care what they do out of the four roles. They just don't want role D. Hmm. And that should be, you You need to be able to make that expressible because somebody who doesn't care what they do except they don't want to do D, they become the great, you know, gap filler mm-hmm. uh, of trying to resolve a bunch of disputes because they aren't impacted if they take A through C. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure to allow people to express, like, you know, negative preferences. Um 
Another, you know, little rule you can add in here might be, I don't care where I work, I just want to work with a certain individual. Hmm. You should be able to express that. Uh, some people don't care what project they own. They just like the people. So they don't want to get separated. Hmm. Uh, and that's important, too. Okay. You can make this more complex by assigning, say, monopoly money or something to the rankings. So that's the auction part. Because when I hear auction, I think currency yeah, of some exactly. kind. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the fully fledged auction. Okay. Um, Otherwise, it's like rank. Yes. Okay. You Thank and you. I may have the same. We both prefer Project A, mm -hmm. but you don't really care. Yeah. Uh, you just don't want, pro you know, maybe don't want Project B and okay. you work on C or D. Okay. And Project A is the most important thing to me. So I can use all of my points to say Project A. Sure. And that expresses that intent so that you're going to be less unhappy if you don't get Project A, even though it's your first preference. Okay. So that's one way to resolve that. So let's move on to the L. We are at V-A-L. L mm -hmm. stands for lottery. What happens if you have a ranked choice and two people want the same thing? Mm -hmm. Or what happens if there's something no one wants to do? That's when you just randomly assign. Mm -hmm. um, why I would say random assignment is probably the best course here is because if you introduce anything else, people will try and game it. Um, you've already introduced the basics of trying to figure out preferences. If you go beyond that or fall back into trying to assign things yourself based on your preferences, people will start to appeal to you as the manager. Mm -hmm. They're going to start saying like, hey, whatever you do, don't assign me to that. I'm going to be so unhappy. I'm going to quit, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and you can't let personal appeals to you enter the game. Otherwise, everybody's going to start doing that. Or some people aren't comfortable with personal appeals, and some people are. And guess right. who's not going to You don't get... want the loudest voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You don't want the loudest voice um, to get, get their, their way. way. Yeah. So uh, random assignment, let's say you and I both prefer Project A the most. Random assignment just means it's a flip of a coin. If nobody else prefers Project A, it's just between us. Uh, the other important thing about the transparency of random assignment is that you don't have to feel bad if you don't didn't get Project A. Yeah, it's you, not personal, right? Yeah, it's not personal. <laughs> hmm. You don't have to feel like I didn't politic enough. I didn't. I didn't. Hmm. You know, do enough favors for the boss, or I didn't get recognized enough. You yeah. know, it was a random assignment. You know, you were up for it. You didn't get it. It's arbitrary in a good way. Yes. In the true sense of arbitrary. Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, now the last bit. Let's say you do those three steps, volunteer, auction, lottery, and you have a, an assignments list and you're done mm -hmm. um, with, with the plan. You are not done with the actual assignments. You're done right. with the plan. Right. Make it transparent and let anybody trade who wants to trade. Now, they may need to go through you so you're aware of who's switching jobs. Right, especially with on-call. You want to make yes. sure there's coverage. Yes. But people, when they see the final proposal, might decide, ah, this wasn't what I meant. Now, it's on them to go fix it. You don't need to be the broker and try and solve their problems. You did everything fair at this point. But if they don't like working on Project B, once they realize, you know, the whole breakdown, they'd rather go to D. And they know somebody would rather be on B that was assigned D. Let it happen. You don't need to make the plan sacrosanct. This is the first draft. It's a proposal. What do people think about this? Give them time to think it over. If they can improve it on their own piecemeal and, you know, not leave gaps, let it happen. Don't fight it. Okay. Um, so we got V-A-L-T, vault. Mm -hmm. This first A, assign. Everybody wants to go with assigning. Oh, this is where I step in as the manager and just tell everybody what their job is. Huh. 
I want you to try your best not to do that. Uh, and we'll cover the what if I know somebody's good at this or we'll but the main reason you need to not to uh, not to do this is you're introducing I appeal to the boss I get my way hmm. you you really want the bulk of the work to be done by the vault part not the a part well because it Im- involves the team you yes. know it gives them a sense of ownership from yes. the beginning instead of this arbitrariness or this politicking yes. aspect um you know what's interesting is I, I know we'll get into this a bit later but I'm already hearing resonances with conflict resolution like if you could map this onto conflict resolution like a assign you don't as a manager want your first move to be assigning blame or who's wrong or right and you know you might move pretty quickly into the volunteer like um people just relying on the goodwill of people to interact and to give one another feedback about something that's gone wrong um and you know if that doesn't work you might actually get into a place where you're looking at their interests and what their priorities are and and how they rank their values and what the intersect might be between those things to help resolve the issue um i can go on and on but i i I do see that this not only solves responsibility disputes, it's going to get us to a place where we can resolve actual disputes. So um, I, I want to hear more, though, about um, where you see this with tasks, you know, with the task management. Um, I wanted to cover uh, what if I know somebody. Oh, is the best at. Yeah. What oh, if I know okay. somebody's at the best at this? Okay. Okay. Um, I want to say try your best not to let that influence assignments. Somebody's usually the best at something because they've done it a lot. Hmm. Uh, anyone you assign in the long term should... No, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't use the word assign. Anyone that gets the job <laughs> right. uh, should, over the medium to long term, be good enough at the job that it is effectively done. You By trying to assign the best person for the job, you are uh, optimizing the short term at the expense of the long term. Hmm. Allowing jobs to shift, allowing people to learn different things, which is usually what their preference will be if you let the rest of the system happen. They're going to try and want to learn new things. That's going to make the team more robust, more resilient if somebody's out sick, if somebody quits, if somebody's on vacation. Other people can cover those roles. If you say, oh, uh, Ash is the best at this one thing, and no one else knows how to do it, we'll assign it to Ash. Well, now no one else will never know how to do it. Even if even if somebody wanted to learn, even if Ash was tired of doing it and was going to put it as their negative preference. Right, right. So, so basically, this allows roles and responsibilities not to become trenches or silos. It helps them be paths for navigating your place in the company. Right. This is absolutely um, compatible with paths. Okay. Because paths can show up as preferences as well. Okay. Um, the reason I want to say a sign goes first, even though it's so dangerous, mm-hmm. is because it can't go anywhere else. If <laughs> Yeah, if all if, this fails and you just assign... Then people will just try to make sure it fails so that they can go back <laughs> to politicking for you and get the choice. Interesting. Big. Okay. If you know someone's going to get the job, just be transparent about it up front. This person is going to get that job. Try your best to explain why. Explain why it's crucial, why no other person could do that particular thing. Mm. And do it truthfully. You should believe that no other person can do that thing and that it's in the interest of the company and team long term that no one else learn. You can see why no one really should be assigned, but 
at times in emergencies or when the short-term gain is the only thing that matters, Uh assignment might work. Okay. Now, this is a little different than what I typically hear from managers. Uh, You know, it's like going the strengths finders path or or finding out what, what are your strengths and what do you bring to the team? And then let's define your role based on that. Like, why are you deviating a bit from that approach um, or is is there a place for that approach maybe in the hiring process or, you know, like how do you um, take into account people's strengths? I think strengths are tactics by which people excel. Okay, say that again. Strengths are tactics by which people excel. Okay. Um, it's a how. It's a how. Not a what are they going to be doing. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the role of project manager. Mm-hmm. We have a super conscientious person, a super extroverted person, somebody who really thinks about the future. Those are the three people up for it. Mm. Who should I assign it to? I don't know. Mm. Because we could have a futuristic project manager. We could have a by-the-book project manager. We can mm. have somebody who's talking and wheeling and dealing. Those are all great things to see in a project manager. Yeah. And it's it's three different ways to solve the project manager problem. Uh, ideally, you want a team where all the strengths are covered. So you really want to mm-hmm. hire for diversity there in terms of how people approach problems. And that actually overlaps heavily with, with other kinds of diversity because people have had to you know, build different strengths given their life stories and histories. Um, but you, you want a team with all these different strengths. You don't want a team with one strength. And you don't really want to think of a role in terms of... Uh, a particular way of, of approaching this role is the only way that'll work because you're you're leaving a lot on the table when you do that. Hmm. Okay, so to some degree, this sounds like a place where the manager has full creativity to create such a system. Um, you know, I, I've seen that at a lot of startup companies where they can create this process for managing work and assigning work. Do you think this translates? Or how might it translate to a place where um, the manager may not have authority over who's doing what? I'd have to think about that. When a manager doesn't have authority over certain things, <laughs> I have to ask, yeah. what are they managing? Right. And I'm not. I'm not trying to be harsh to anyone no. in that situation. I think that situation does exist. Mm. Um. Not to get too much into current events, but I think a lot of analysts have pointed to the conflict in Ukraine of, of Russia being very top heavy. Mm. Of I think they have something like 300 or 30 times more generals than we do, something crazy. And wow. then they have no non-commissioned officers. Huh. So they have no middle. Yeah, You have everybody at the top who's in charge of delegating these roles and responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. And then you have nobody who's really empowered to... Uh, make it happen. Huh. And I think you see the downsides of that. Uh, if you're a manager and you're not being delegated certain authority, like how do I help my team succeed? Mm. Uh, you might be in one of those top heavy organizations. Mm. And a lot of these things are going to be uh, stressful for you to figure out there, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, All right. So you've talked about uh, you know, where do assignments come from, for lack of a better word? Uh, where where does the breakdown of work come from? Where do the tasks themselves come from? So you're talking about basically before we have the volunteer, the auction, we have to have a list right? Uh, yeah. to bid on. We have to have a list of people need to know what's out there. I think you can use your 
discovery skill set from product or requirements engineering you're basically trying to figure out you're your own client and you're trying to figure out what do i need mm. um so discovery is going to take some time and you're going to use almost marketing methodologies you can use surveys of your staff you can look at people's calendars you can use interviews hey what do you do all day not in a hostile way but with each of these steps you're going to write it down write it down write everything you hear that people are doing down this is the list of tasks people are going to want to self-edit this and they're going to say oh that's not important enough to put in the task list mm. this is how teams get overwhelmed mm -hmm. you've seen this in project management where you sit down and say, oh well you know i'm only doing two or three things and then if you watch them long enough and say oh is that a project you know, over the next couple of weeks, you realize they are on 27 different projects. <laughs> and of course, they're overwhelmed. And of course, there's all kinds of, you know, things going wrong and people are blocked and everything else. And there's all this confusion because people refuse to focus. One way to help focus is to write it down and use that as truth. Stop trying to live in your head on what you're responsible for. Hmm. Let's say you have this giant list. Uh, obviously, just like in user stories or discovery or in requirements engineering, not all these tasks are must-haves. Do that as a separate step. Do not self-edit in the moment. Instead, make a conscious effort. This team is no longer going to do these tasks. Hmm. You need to talk to whoever was expecting those tasks, saying that's no longer going to be done. We're no longer going to do that. That's That's got to be a part of this process. Everything else... You might want to combine certain tasks into, you know, meta tasks. These belong together. It makes sense for a single person to do all these things. Uh, but that's the uh, things that this team's responsible for. And that's what's going to go up to bid in the uh, a vault system. The oh. A is silent. Yeah, the A is silent. <laughs> and that A, again, is a sign. And, and you said something interesting about, really, that's the last resort, even though it's kind of the first thing that, people go to or the first thing it's it's hard to know where else to put that yeah. um I, and i was thinking a little bit about the drama that comes from ongoing tasks um you know those the invisible work um and you know who's doing what and who's not saying they're doing what because they you know um they're like you said they're not writing things down um not for like supervision of the project manager or monitoring to make sure that you're productive, but just like so you can actually see what your cognitive load looks like. Um, for people who are thinking about this and some of the drama that arises from overlap between roles or ongoing work or invisible work, um, how would you apply the AVALT method to conflict resolution? Um, I think you said a really interesting keyword in there, drama. And so with AVALT, we're kind of, we're stepping back and we're trying to I, imagine this ideal system where work flows to the people that'll make happiest to do that work. Right. And where work nobody wants to do flows to the people that'll make least happy. And to the extent... Or the people who can make it go away, like who can least kind of... Happy. Yeah. Least unhappy. Least unhappy. <laughs> Like, that's a punishment. <laughs> I mean, management uh, is all about carrots and sticks at yeah, times. Apparently. No, no. So, but like, or the people who can optimize those, that kind of work away, right? Who can optimize it away or who are least impacted, they don't mind. It sure. doesn't bother them. Yes. Um, 
But this all kind of still treats this ideal homo economicus, yeah. right? Of, of this rational, rational, agent. rational <laughs> yeah. agent. And we are rational, but we are also emotional. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of being human. You can't blame people when they're upset. Upset is, it's like a sixth sense. Your emotions are like saying somebody you can't be upset is like telling them that you don't see the color blue right now. Mm-hmm. It's they do feel what they're feeling. Right. Now, maybe their beliefs about the world aren't in line with your beliefs about the world or you disagree on the facts. That can be true. But they are upset and they are feeling what they're feeling and they're not broken for feeling what they're feeling. So we need to acknowledge some emotions and understand that even the perfect trading system or auction system isn't going to get rid of people being upset or feeling like they missed out or depressed that they didn't get the the choice assignment or or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And I I was thinking more about the problematic nature of just assigning tasks and how it mirrors the problematic nature of assigning blame. Um, when a when a manager uses their power for um, arbitration in a, in a negative sense, in a like random, like who curried favor with me last, or who do I think is right just based on their demeanor, or you know, like yeah. like the kind of arbitrariness of of the power of management. Um, I'd like to do away with that. So I I was thinking about um, how I, those letters, the the volunteer, the auction, the lottery. Um, how they mirror to conflict resolution. Uh, can you say more specifically uh, something about that? Like the, the volunteerism seems to me like what that first step in conflict resolution should be. It's you want people giving feedback freely, um, you know, trying to solve their conflicts between one another before you're, you know, involving management, just kind of like what you said with the task management as well. You want the team ideally identifying what they like and what they're interested in. And uh, I don't know. I, I'd love to play with this a little bit more. Sure. Um, you mentioned arbitration. Uh, so let's, this is kind of based, it's on a, my very poor understanding of parts of the legal system, <laughs> but I think it's a All great right. model for conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, you said arbitration is the last step. It is. Arbitration is along a continuum and is, is the last thing where you bring in someone in authority, someone in power who's going to fact find, who's going to try and hear all sides, who's going to try and make render a judgment that best captures what happened, and it's going to be final. So arbitra- you know, if a manager has to arbitrate, uh, you, somebody might be terminated, somebody might be demoted. There's Usually you don't want it to get that far. You don't want the parties to the arbitration to want it to get that far either. Now, if you do manage to get that far and you're a manager in that situation, you have got to do everything you can to be as unbiased as possible. The reason for that, it's not just organizational justice. You've just got to remember that if you are swayable, then people will stop playing the game of, I need to negotiate, I need to figure this out, I need to find some sort of compromise and start playing the game of, I need to appeal to the manager. Mm. Arbitration is about two sides, the two sides who are still arguing and then some objective third party trying to make a decision based on the facts. If you become a side, it is no longer arbitration, it's politics. Mm -hmm. They're each going to try and get you on their side. Once there are three parties to a discussion, 
negotiation changes completely and it becomes who can appeal to the third party the most. <laughs> now, arbitration is that really far flung part of that spectrum. There's mm -hmm. a lot of things you can do to try and get, stop uh, disputes from getting that far. I think mediation is one step down. This is where, again, the manager might be involved. Or if you're a manager and you find yourself intractably involved. Right. And you need to recuse yourself, yeah, you know, yeah. just... You if know. you have skin in the game. <laughs> yeah. Then you can find a colleague of equal power who will, you know, you can delegate that decision-making authority for and say, can you figure out, get to the bottom of this uh, and figure out what we need to do to move forward. Uh, mediation, you can also find a third party to be a mediator, but here you're not going to render a decision. You're just there to make sure both sides keep talking to each other, to help them feel heard, to apply a lot of the things we might talk about with more um, conversational approaches, because that has failed so far. Um, mediation gets some teeth by saying, look, if this doesn't work out, I will render a decision, but you need to make sure people are giving it a good faith effort. And people should understand that the more they put into a good faith effort at resolving differences themselves, that should be weighed should it come down to some sort of arbitration, right? Mm -hmm. Perhaps, you know, when the facts all get out or the facts that we can find get out, uh, when somebody called somebody else a jerk, uh, oh, that was uncalled for. But the victim of that, the person who's called a jerk, has just completely... Uh, ignored or fought against the process this whole time. That doesn't look great either. And we could have resolved this way before getting to an arbitration step. So um, before mediation is negotiation. Mediation is just a facilitated negotiation. There's a, there's a third party who's just trying to keep people talking. Right. Uh, in this negotiation, we're shooting for, in, in an organization, what's called log rolling. We're looking for common ground things that we can both win on right um thing, emotions have got it he, gotten heated is there something that we can agree on is there something in and once we've divvied up all the things we can't agree on what's left and can there be a compromise mm -hmm. um we're not going to talk about haggling or bargaining here because we're working inside an organization we want to keep high trust so it's probably best to you know split the difference which you're never supposed to do but again we're walking we're talking in a high trust environment yeah. we want to maintain that social unity so we're trying to find where do we agree and just just recognize that agreement and where do we disagree okay let's try and split something up and as equitable as we can and then before that is just good emotional intelligent conversation mm. um, and I think that's where you might have some things to say on 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 maintaining that active listening on applying emotional intelligence on uh, generous listening mm. and generous understanding assume the best that's not to say that you should always assume the best. Like if this is the fifth time that you've been stabbed in the back, maybe you don't assume the best this time. <laughs> but you know, if it's the first time, uh, always assume uh, ignorance or a mistake over malevolence. Yeah, I mean, for me, so before I uh, got into social work, I did have that exposure to project management. And one of the things that I found really beneficial in giving feedback, whether it's to a peer or to a direct report, or even to your manager, uh, is that you don't focus on the motivation or speculating about what their motives are. Uh, it's really just about the behavior and how it connects to the consequences to the team or to you. Um, so you might start with, 
Like when you did X, you know, when you were late to the meeting for the sixth time, <laughs> you know, uh, it has the impact of hurting the team. They feel like this isn't important to you and, you know, they're showing up on time and, um, you know, could could we brainstorm together some ways to avoid this in the future? Um, and there you're not assuming like, what were your motives for showing up late? Um, let me speculate about whether or not you understood all the feedback I gave you. I, it, it's not about that. It's really just about the behavior. And for me, that's important as someone who's thinking in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy. You, I'm, just, you just think you're more important than this meeting, don't you? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Like, let's not interject beliefs into the feedback because beliefs people disagree on. Um, it's good to examine those beliefs together when you get to conversation or mediation and even negotiation where you're looking at your shared interests. Um, but when you're giving feedback or having an honest, empathetic conversation about behavior and behavior change, uh, you, you don't want to go into that. Um, you do want to explore people's uh, stories. You know, if they if they offer up like, oh, I was late because da, 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 you know, that's that's great. That's fine. Um, it doesn't negate the feedback at all. It does help them to feel heard <laughs> if you go through their side of the story and even mirror back to them. Oh, I. it sounds like that was really frustrating for you when your babysitter didn't show up on time. Or, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. And just because you express empathy doesn't mean you're agreeing with the circumstances or, again, that the feedback is invalidated. you have something toward that? I was just going to say that it seems like um, when you're talking about don't make assumptions about their character, don't make assumptions about their motives, mm -hmm. it's very similar to how we try to stay away from positional negotiating. Right. We don't want to... I don't want to win the negotiation where you have to admit you're a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Right. We just... All we need is we need people to show up to the meeting. Yeah, that's all it's we about need. behavior that's the, change. That's the, that's I'm not the here to win outcome. souls. or like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not here to psychoanalyze you. Uh, it's not the manager's role. Like, the manager's role is not to be a therapist. Not that therapy's bad, uh, you know, but you kind of want to keep that... Uh, the stereotype of therapy out of out of the game. You know, we don't want psychoanalysis of, you know, oh, while well, you're late, you disrespect me because you disrespected your father. It's like, no, <laughs> we, we, we really want uh, for there to be honest conversation about the behaviors that make for a healthy team. Um, I 100% agree, um, though it is interesting that you'll find a lot of crossover that can get uh, not... I want to say the word risky somewhat because like when you're a manager and you practice active listening, that's not unlike a therapist who's practicing active listening. Yeah. Um, so some of the tools are there. Absolutely. But just remember, just, just try and remember where you got it. Did you get it from crucial, con crucial conversations? It's okay. Did you, <laughs> did you get it from Freud? Keep that to yourself. Ah, uh, well, well, I mean, no one needs, see, that's the thing is so many different kinds of psychotherapy or interventions go into, you know, the unconscious or the motives or the defense mechanisms more. I'm, I'm really thinking about the crossover between something like cognitive behavioral therapy or a solution focused therapy and management, because that is where you get into Feedback that can translate, mm -hmm. you know, feedback yeah. that really cares about the person's growth, but isn't going to spend a lot of time in the past. It's looking forward. It's looking, how can we um, 
make sure that the team is going to function together and have the same vision and values going forward. Oh, I think I hear our little bit waking. If you would like to hear more, please subscribe to this podcast, Somehow I Manage. You can also check us out online at www.guildmasterconsulting.com slash blog. For a lot of other hot take, uh, feel free to like, share, and subscribe to that as well. You can find us on Twitter at Guildmaster C.